Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to our worship service. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Our verses would be from 5.17 to 20. 5.17 to 20. You notice that this passage starts with something that you would not expect from Jesus. He starts from the law and the prophets. I named this sermon, What's Law Got to Do With It? Those who lived through the 80s knows the reference to the popular song, What's Love Got to Do With This? So the question is for, the, for us this morning, what do we have to do with law at all? And a lot of Christians, I would say, are confused about this very point, what's law got to do with me? Are we under the law, or the law has nothing to do with me as Christian? John Newton, the one who coined Amazing Grace, converted slave trader, wrote, wrote that ignorance of the nature and the design of the law is at the bottom of the most of our religious mistakes. If we don't, if we don't understand what law has to do with you, there's a lot of mistakes in your Christian life. There's a lot of confusion. And I, I, I tell you honestly, I've been in the confusion for quite a long time. What law has to do with me? And if you go to Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus, who started preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, he, after establishing who is in the kingdom and what character of people who are in the kingdom, he started his sermon with the law. Now, verse 17, it says, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophet. This is where he starts his bulk of the sermon. This is the gist of the sermon. This is the, the center of the sermon. And if you flip a little bit further, when he ends up his sermon at chapter 7, verse 12, when he gives the golden rule for Christianity, and this is the bulk of what Tim was preaching, there was an introduction to the sermon. Now he's a bulk of the sermon. And at the end, verse 12, he says, And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophet. So let me explain what's going on, why Jesus started preaching all of a sudden the law. Please read with me Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teach, teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this passage. It is unexpected for us to see Jesus speaking 
about the law, but we pray that you would illumine by the Spirit what does he mean and how does it apply to us today. Praise you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to notice that until this moment, Jesus did not mention the law at all. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. He was accumulating crowd. He was preaching the blessedness of those who are in the kingdom. And he gave them goodness of God. But at this moment, he preaches the law. What is going on, Jesus? Why in the world you switch to the law? And at what point in our life that we should switch to the law? And should we? And I tell you this, that this was a tough crowd that Jesus was preaching to. It was a very tough crowd. You know, Jesus preaching the good news, but he, there's two types of people that, he, that are listening. There are true disciples that he's talking to, and there's a bunch of people who are thinking that they are true disciples, and they are part of Israel. Just imagine that you're preaching to a people who think that they are children of God. A bunch of people, they were following Jesus thinking that they were children of God. They were thinking that they were the elect of God before the foundation of the world. That they were chosen in Abraham and Jacob. They were followers of God's law. From the beginning of their lives, they were listening in synagogues and learning scriptures. They knew scriptures. They knew the promises that belongs to them. They were thinking head and shoulder about, above other people and other nations. They were sure that it's just a matter of time that the kingdom of God will come and be delivered on the silver platter to them. This is the crowd that Jesus teaches them. And what does he communicate to them? After giving them the blessedness of those who are in the kingdom, he communicates basically two points. You are not in it, Because your righteousness is garbage. And I'm the only one who can accomplish the law. I'm the only one. So Jesus is preaching and communicating and make it clear. That is why he's preaching the the law. That make it clear that apart from him, no one has a shot to enter the kingdom of heaven. No one has a slightest shot to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. And so, therefore, the whole sermon will be proving this point that you think that you're in, think again. You think that you're the keepers of the law, think again. Let me bring the law to you. Let me communicate what the law of God states about your condition. Now, I want to split in three points this sermon and explain what this law has to do with us. And first of all, we have to see what the law has to do with Christ. What Christ's relationship with the law. Did he abolish the law? Did he cancel the law? Did he hate the law? Or he completely fulfilled it? You know the answer. The first point, Christ successfully fulfilled the whole law completely for our benefit. Something that we could not do, he did. Now, this starts in verse 17. He said, when he shocks people, he shocks people. He said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The attitude of Christ to the law is obvious. He said, I did not come to lower the standards. 
Now, I'm a nice guy. I'm wandering with you, and I'm eating with you, and I'm feeding you, and I'm healing you. And you might think that I just came to preach the love, the love, and that is all. I just came to you to say that no worry, come as you are, whoever you are, no problem. I'll heal you, I'll feed you, and I'll get you in the kingdom because it doesn't matter about the law, what you, you know, you're keeping the law or not. You know, try to be nice. You know, be a nice fella. Sing kumbaya together and you'll be in. God's lowering the standards and you'll be fine. A lot of people might have this idea that Jesus is bringing something different from the Old Testament. That he is just a change in completely everything. And he abandoned the Old Testament. And now the New Testament is just free for all. It's just under grace. There's nothing to do with the law. But Jesus said, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. The word abolish meaning to bring it down or loosen up. Katalua meaning meaning to take down, to loose things. If you, when you lasers are just untie, that means that it's kataluo. They are just undone. They're not serving anymore. So Jesus said, I did not come to lower the standard of the Old Testament, of the law of God, because the law of God is good. The law of God is good. The Old Testament scriptures, the whole law, the prophets, starting from the law of Pentateuch to the prophets, to the end of the Old Testament, it's all good. It's all good. We read Paul affirms the same point. He said, but we know that the law is good. We know that the law is, the law is not bad. The law is good. Isaiah in 40, chapter 42, verse 21, he said, the law, the Lord was pleased in his righteousness to make the law great and glorious. The law is glorious. The law is good. The Old Testament was called by Paul that is profitable. You know this passage, all scripture inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The law of God was profitable. And when Paul is preaching and teaching to the Timothy, that for Timothy was not a news. I mean, he was at the end of Paul's ministry when he wrote this. And he was speaking not about New Testament, he was talking about Old Testament, all scripture in Old Testament inspired by God and profitable. So when Jesus comes in, he said, it is good, it is glorious, it is profitable, and it brings joy to the heart, right? Romans seven twenty two, Paul said, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In inner man, I rejoice with the law. I mean, who would rejoice about the law? A regenerated, a new person would rejoice over the law. David, in Old Testament, testified the same thing. In Psalm 19, verse 8, he said, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, let's get real for a second. Is this is what your attitude to the law? Is this is what my attitude to the law regularly? You know, sinners' attitude to the law is rebellion. His rebellion. I, I was uh, stumbled upon the article about a newspaper that bring the photograph of the three signs nailed to the oak tree, to the big oak tree. And the message was obvious. One on the top sign were pinned the words, no trespassing. 
On the middle one says no hunting. And on the bottom one, it says no nothing. Now, the newspaper accompanying comments reads, no trespassing, no hunting, well, that's a landowner's prerogative. But no nothing makes you want to beep your horn, shout out of the window anything to resist a little. I mean, if you see that sign, no nothing, it just provokes you. This is what Paul would say that for a while we were in flesh, the sinful passions which were arose by the law. The law arose as rebellion. You know, every teenager would know as soon as mom would tell him to do something, there is an inward rebellion. I don't want to do that. Why is that? Because a sin resists the law. Sin hates the law, but not Jesus. His attitude to the law was perfect. He said, I did not come to abolish the law because it was good, because it's glorious, because it's profitable, because it brings joy to the heart. And Paul says, if you go back, if you're in Matthew 5.17, says, do not think, do not think this misconception that I brought something different from the Old Testament. I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I came to fulfill. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Paul. Uh, Jesus is saying, look, I, 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 bring, I bring even stronger message to you. It's not that the whole law would be just, you know, somehow abandoned. Not even little parts of the law would be abandoned. Not even little parts of the, I, and I say truly, truly say to you. Now, when Jesus said truly say to you, he speaks like a rabbi, but not like rabbi. Because every rabbi would say, well, Rabbi Shammai said this. And he said, no, I don't care what Rabbi Shammai said. I I say to you, I I say to you, this is true. I came from heaven to tell you the truth that the law is good and everything in the law should be accomplished. Not the smallest stroke, yod or or tittle. The yod is the smallest letter in the Greek, in the Hebrew alphabet. It's the 10th letter of Hebrew alphabet and just looks like a letter apostrophe. You know, and Paul said, look, uh, Jesus said, look, I believe in the inspiration of scripture that if you change one stroke, you could change the whole meaning. So the stroke means something, means everything that a little tittle, little dot, little cross on the T has to be accomplished because if you change that, you change the meaning. Jesus said, look, I came to fulfill everything in the law, the complete law and everything in the law. You see, Jesus speaks so high about the law of God because he loves it, because he gave it. Now, Jesus in Luke 17, uh, 16, 17 says, the law and the prophet were proclaimed until John since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Jesus said, I did not come to lower the standard, to abandon it, or to remove a little insignificant part from the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it, he said. 
Now, this is the key verse. If you misunderstand this verse, you will misunderstand the whole Sermon on the Mount. He came to fulfill the law. Now, what does fulfill mean? Literally means accomplished. Accomplished. Now, there's an explanation. You will find out that people would say that the, he, he, bring, he comes to fill the meaning of the scripture. And, and you're going to kind of see that when he said, you have heard that the ancient were told, right? You have heard, but I came to fill the meaning. I came to fulfill the meaning or to explain the meaning in a better way. But I say to you that that's what the law means. And certainly Jesus does that. He does fills us with the meaning. He explains the meaning, expounds the meaning so we could understand. But Jesus is better than just a good teacher. He didn't come just to teach well. I come to teach well, and that's not what he means. Hey, I come now not to abolish the law, but to teach it well, to explain it to you. No, no, no. He said, I came to do something else that you cannot do. I came to fulfill it. I come to, fu- uh, I come to accomplish it. I come to do this. He did what many people tried and failed, but he did. And he's the only one who understands the proper law, and he obeys the law completely. Now, when we say about the whole law, does Jesus mean like the the whole law, like for real, like everything in it? Christ fulfills all the regulations if you, if you look uh, you know, at the law in the Pentateuch, there's 613 commandments. Like 613 commandments, that's a lot of commandments. There's positive and negative, 248 positive, 365 negative commandments. And Jesus claims that he fulfills them all. When he said that, the jaw of people should have been dropped. Like, are you real? Like even the professionals who were Keeping the law, that was their, their life, their style. They're, they just, they graduated the law. They, they were, you know, writing the law and they're obeying the law. That was the, the whole life. Their jaw should be dropped and say, well, I pretend to obey the whole law, but even I know that I don't do that, even though I show that, you know, that I try to obey. Every smallest part every smallest part like rabbis would say well there's a gradation in the law and Jesus established that he said yeah there's different commandments there's a great commandment there's a smaller commandments like what would be one of the smallest commandments of the Old Testament that insignificance that you and me don't even probably remember that there is well I remind you one of the smallest commandments Deuteronomy 22 6 and 7 if you happen to come upon the mother bird sitting on the eggs. You should not take the eggs with the mother bird. You should take the mother and leave the eggs or should take the eggs and leave the mother. So you should not do that or the chicks for that matter. Now, who would, who would, who would think that this is so important? But if you read this, it says that in order that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days, that smallest commandment was a touch to your life. So it was not, it was nothing like, oh, the bird, you know, there's a, what, who cares about it? What your life was dependent on it. And Jesus said, well, yeah, it is smallest commandment, but nevertheless, it is important in God's eyes. Now, the greatest commandment, of course, we know people ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, this is the great and the foremost commandment that you love your God. 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And even though there's a gradation in the commandments from God to the bird, it's all important. You cannot just dismiss it. And you know those commandments, right? Because you skip over them. When you read Leviticus, you just skip over them. You're like, yeah, I, I know this. this. This is not important. I'm in Jesus. Everything's cool. This is not important. But Jesus said, well, it, it is important for me. I came to not to abolish the smallest. I came to fulfill it and accomplish everything in the law. And he quickly warns people here. Look what verse 18 says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth will pass away, the smallest letter or stroke shall not pass from the law until it's accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least. I mean, I don't do that. But if you want to annul it, well, your chances are that if you are in the kingdom, you're downgraded from the top shelf to the lowest. Now you became nobody. You become the least. Now, what are our chances with that? Now, if you think about what, what did you teach your children something that God doesn't teach or change the commandment or just abandon or don't remember. It makes us all the least at least in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said, look, I came to uphold the law. And not only good parts of the law, but everything in the law. You know what prophets were saying about Jesus? That he has to die and suffer. And you know, the curse of the law, he also came to fulfill. Not only the good things and obedience, but also to take the curse of the law. And he said, I came to fulfill it all. Everything. And nothing will go away until it's accomplished. The law was testifying about Christ. The whole law points to Christ, to his fulfillment. In John 5.39, Jesus challenged the Pharisees and he said, you examine the scripture because you think that it's in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. Now on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus was resurrected, there were two people, two disciples, nameless disciples. They came into the Bible, but without the names. So they were walking with Jesus. They didn't recognize who that was. And he said to them, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So in a sense, Jesus was saying, look, you know, people listening to him and he said, well, what's your chances with the law? I came to fulfill it. I'm the only one who can, and I'm the only one who will do it. I'm the one. And therefore he is creating the need for Jesus in the crowd because they will start thinking like everything in the law, it is merely impossible and he claims that he did it or he will do it. Now, one other thing that I would just want to throw out there, that Jesus, when he said that I accomplished the law, I mean, everything that pertaining to him, right? He didn't accomplish the regulation about the women's because he was not a woman. He didn't accomplish regulation about the old men, but what he did, he said, I sum up all the law and I, and I fulfill its purpose. The purpose of the law was to bring the love of God, to to bring the love of God. The fulfillment of the law is 
truly loving God. You know, when we think about the law, we don't think about the love. We think that this is something, regulations, and some brutal thing that we have to do, and we don't want it. But the law was given because God loved people. That is all. All the details somehow attached to the law of God. Nothing just was given. You know, God did not give us the Bible just to give us the holy book. He gave us the letter of love to bring us into the fellowship with him. And Paul speaks about this purpose of the law. In chapter 13, verse 10, he said, love does not wrong to a neighbor. Does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The purpose of the law was to give a new relationship with God. Nobody had the law, and Israel did. God said, I loved you. I chose you to have a relationship with me. And when we do that, we're accomplishing the love of God by obeying the law. So Jesus was the only candidate, the only one. He said, I, I, I know about you, but I did not come to abolish. I come to fulfill it, and I fulfill it all in its completeness, everything. And when God looked at me, he said, you earn us. Now, Jesus' righteousness comes from the law. Jesus' righteousness comes from the law. Our righteousness comes from Christ. Only from Christ. Your righteousness does not come from the law. Therefore, Christ's righteousness is so radical, so different, that he is the only one who lived it out. Nobody knew about this kind of righteousness. Nobody even could dream about this kind of righteousness. And he claimed that he has it. He has it. He obeyed the law of God because he loved God. Now, let me bring you an illustration like we obeyed the law. Let's say you live with your spouse. I was, you know, let's say just hypothetical example of two spouses. And you could come to a husband and say, well, do you love your wife? And he would say, sure, I do. Sure, I do. Um, even though you know that he lost all the joy of being married, all the thrill of being married, he's there because he has to. You know, he's there because of the strictly obedience to the commandment. You know, whatever God just married and united, man should not separate. He lost all the joy, he lost all the thrill, but he's there for, for his children, perhaps. You ask him, do you love your wife? And he would probably say, yes. Why would you love your, why, why do you think you love your wife? Well, because I do things for her, because I go to work, because I provide, because I spend some time with children, and so on. I help around the house. But if you ask, is there a healthy, growing relationship with your wife? Are you doing these things to promote your wife, to build up your wife, to bring her up, to love her? The answer probably would be no. What is the difference a person does all these things according to the law. He misses the love. Jesus had the love of the law. He obeyed it out of the joy. David did the same thing. Disciples, true disciples have this desire, changed heart to obey. Not just strictly because the law says, and therefore the law changes. The law becomes beautiful, glorious, Profitable. 
You know, the law is rooted in the heart of God and it cannot be dismissed. It must be obeyed. The law is more secure than the whole universe, Jesus said. It's more secure, more established. It's permanent. It's not going away until it's all accomplished. Christ stepped in to fulfill the requirements of the law and to pay the entire penalty of the law. The law of God is satisfied by the love, life, and death of Christ. So that's the first point. Jesus came to fulfill, and his righteousness come from the law. Our righteousness does not come from the law. Even though we're dealing with the law, our righteousness does not come. Look, verse 18 says, verse 20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, is that a great standard? <laughs> now, imagine people sitting there, and, and they, they know Pharisees. They know professional keepers of the law. They know that they know it well. Those scribes, they wrote commentaries on the Old Testament, and then they wrote the commentaries on the commentaries to explain the commentaries, and then they sat and discussed what does it mean and how does it apply. I mean, that's the whole law. That's, that's what they do. This is the, from nine, from eight to five, that's their job. And they're sitting, people sitting, and, they, and that's the challenge. Jesus said, look, basically what's communicate that you fail. You fail at the law. You will fail at the law. The best of you failed at the law and fail miserably. Apart from Christ, we have miserably failed the law of God. You know, apart from our reaction to that, reaction to that, to the law, the best of us cannot keep up with the law. This is the greatest requirement. Our righteousness must surpass. Our righteousness must be of a different kind than of the Pharisees and scribes. Now, if the jaw didn't drop at the first statement when Jesus will, I accomplish the whole law, the second time they have an opportunity to just be amazed is like, whoa, they're not in. I'm not in. If my righteousness does not surpass of their righteousness, then where am I? Now, you would think that people would come to in, in, in ashes and weeping before Jesus said, well, what shall we do? What shall we do? The law brought us to the end of ourselves. We cannot do anything. Where is the light? But then at the end of the sermon, they were just amazed. Like, wow, he just teaches differently. It's amazing. And so my challenge to you is just to look at yourself and to see what does your righteousness look like? Now, God tells us in a brutal language, what does your righteousness look like? How much you failed. And it's like if you want to present a gift to a king. Or to a president. And when he opens your, your gift. It would be a, an old ripped t-shirt. Wallowed in the poop. That's the righteousness. Nothing attractive. No use. And you would present this. Gift. With such a pride. Like this is the accomplishment of my life. Please take it. And be pleased. 
I mean, Jesus is saying, look, their standard is high in your eyes, the Pharisees and scribes, but it's just garbage. It's nothing. It doesn't achieve the purpose of God, the purpose of God's law, and therefore you are not able. Now, they're saying the popular saying and among that time were saying among people were, were this. If only two people will go to heaven, one will be scribe and another Pharisees. This is how high they thought about them. They're the great people. They were professionals. They were the best. And so Jesus picks the best of them and compares them to with the law of God. And so well, they, they, they fail. They fail. Scribes read, interpret scripture all their lives. Pharisees were a religious sect. You know much about Pharisees. They attempted to strictly observe and keep the law. If you know anything about Pharisees, I mean, there were probably, there were never more than 6,000 of them. So they're a limited number. There are not many people who would devote their lives just to be keepers of the law. But it's interesting that, you know, they would come up with a little stuff that uh, try to observe the law uh, that becomes ridiculous. Like, for instance, they, they said that you cannot work on Sabbath, and if you tie a knot, you're working. You cannot tie a knot. But life has to go on, and, and so the women has to tie a knot over their you know, little coverings, and so they're allowed to do that. So... The cleverness of men, so if man wants to, for instance, tie a knot for some things, like for instance, to get the bucket into the well and bring it uh, down up, so he has to come to a woman and to tie a knot around her, and that's not work, and then take it off, and then he would take the water out of the well. I mean, they were so strictly following, and even today, they're strictly following. There's Orthodox Jews that following all these religious rules and regulations, misunderstanding the law, but nevertheless, they're devoted to the law. I like this story. In 1992, there's an Orthodox apartment, or most of the Orthodox people lived in Israel. 1992, when it starts, all of a sudden, fire in apartments. And so these Orthodox Jews, instead of take the buckets and just try to put it out, they went to the rabbi and start discussing whether it's okay to call to the fire department so that the fire department could come and, and put off the fire. While they were discussing, and it took Rabbi about 30 minutes to say yes, the apartment buildings were burned to the ground. That's the devotion. What does it produce? Produce nothing. Jesus said, these type of people, they have only skin deep righteousness. It's only superficial righteousness. It's an external observance of the law. On the outside, you may look clean, but inside you're dirty. Partial observance of the law, you pick and choose what you like, and what you can do, you twist. Wrong motives. People wanted to be seen by people and be praised. So Jesus explains, and he said, look, your righteousness, it should surpass that. That's not going to cut it. It should surpass that. And he doesn't explain. What is this righteousness? Where do I get this? 
How do I get this? All he does is just to put in your face the law so that you could say, I cannot do that. I need someone. And seems like you, Jesus, have the answer. So people have to cling to Jesus. And so if, if anybody has the answer to this dilemma, is you, Christ. What shall I do? So the, by the preaching of the law, Jesus makes it clear that apart from him, no one has a slimmest chance to enter in the kingdom of God. And they are not in. They need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Christ. Your righteousness is nothing compared to Christ. Our righteousness comes from Christ alone, not from the law. Now, why law then? Why the law? Well, we said that the purpose of the law was to love God. And that doesn't change. When Jesus brings the New Testament, New Covenant, he doesn't change things. He doesn't change the essence of the law. The essence of the law is still to be obedient to God out of the joyful heart. And as an explanation, it's not in the text, but I just want to go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. If you go there, you will see what I mean. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. This part would be more of the application of the passage to us today. It says here, bear one another burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another burdens. And by this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is he talking about? I thought Jesus will fulfill the whole law. And now the whole law is, has no relevance to us. But what Jesus does, he said, look, I delivered you from the law of Moses, from this form of law, and I brought you under the freedom, under the law of Christ. My law is upon you today. I give you a righteousness of new quality, completely different righteousness, does not proceed from the flesh, but proceeds from Christ. Not from your abilities, but from Christ's abilities. What is this quality of this righteousness? Well, many Christians think mistakenly that Sermon on a Mount is a, a salvation passage. Like if I do that, I will be saved. And Jesus said, well, you can't do that. But there are many also think that this is a prescription for us how to live so that we become better in God's eyes. And it is not true. These things would be true of you if you have a changed Heart produced by the righteousness of Christ. If Christ would wrap you up in his righteousness. So Jesus did a few things for us. First of all, he delivered us from the dominion and damage and the condemnation of the law of Moses. He did that. There's something changed. Not the essence of the law of God, but the change of the form how this law comes. Now I watched the video about the hermit crab that occasionally hermit crab would change the shell. Just come out, out of the shell and get the bigger shell. But something happened with the essence of the law of, law of God. He gave this law in this format to Moses. And he said, these are the commandments, obey them. But then he didn't change the meaning of the law. He changed the format and gave it in through Jesus. 
Now, if you remember the passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, 31, I'll read this. And just listen carefully so you can understand what had happened to us. What is our relationship to the law? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I make new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and it will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Not only that he changed the shape of the law, how he gives to us, but he changed the place of the law where he puts it. Instead of just being outside where it's just in the pages of scripture or on the stone, he regenerates the heart and do the heart transplant and put it there. Now, this would be exactly illustration the point what Jesus wants to communicate later after the gospel is done. Is that you apart from regeneration, the law would be just on the stone. It would be communication of God's law, but it doesn't touch you. You will try to obey, but you fail. But if I change your heart, and if I accomplish the complete law, and I put this law in your heart, and you don't have to worry about your salvation no more. You just do this law out of the love of God. Our relationship with the law is changed because Jesus accomplished it for us. In Old Testament, you would never expect it to get into heaven by obeying the law. Never. Nobody gets into heaven in Old Testament and New Testament, because you obey the law. You love the law. And that is only possible when you are forgiven by God. Forgiven by God. Christ came to take all what law gives, fulfill it, accomplish it, pays the penalty, and so now he dresses you up in the righteousness of Christ so that you be able to be free to do what he wants to do. Now, what is our relationship with the law. What do we have to do with this? I'll just want to finish with this, that there are three uses of the law, general uses. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it spells it out. The number one usage of the law for everybody, for the world, to restrain the evil. God gave the law so that the evil will not just be expounded everywhere. That's why the people have the guns, you know, in the government. That's why they have the armies to sustain the peace and make sure that the evil would not go and expand as quickly. That's why he gave the law, number one. The number two usage of the law is to lead us to Christ. It's to come to the end of ourselves and to say, it's too high. It's just too high. It's just too damning. It will kill me. And it does. 
And it brings to the end of your, your ability to Christ and saying he's a tutor to Christ, Paul says. The law is tutor, is just guide to Christ and to say, what shall I do? And Christ will explain. But when Christ changes your nature, when Christ gives you a new heart, when he writes the law of God on your heart, you're not dependent on obedience, whether you go to heaven anymore. You do the law of God strictly because you love him. And this is the third usage of the law. It says this, in its third function, is the guide the regenerate into the good works that God has planted for them. The law tells God's children what will please their heavenly father. And that is why we do it, because we're just overwhelmed by the love of God that he forgave us. He doesn't put the standards to us no more to go to heaven. We have failed completely, but in Christ we achieve new righteousness. It could be called their family code. Christ was speaking to this third use of the law when he said that those who become his disciples must be taught to do all that he's commanded them. Remember Jesus, how he ended Matthew before he went up to the father. He said, here's what you should do. I give you law. I give you the commandment. You shall observe, you should baptize, and you should teach every disciples to do exactly what I told. Well, that's the law, right? That's the commandments. When you look at the scripture in New Testament, there's a bunch of commandments. What do you do with this? Well, you obey, but not to present yourself righteous. You obey because you love. You obey because it's your family code. You obey because it pleases the father. The Christian is free from the law as a system of salvation. But as under the law of Christ, he lives as it is his rule. I like how Arthur Pink put this. The law of the gospel. Check this out. He says, the law of the gospel. He switches. There was the law of Moses that was done away with this. This is like that, that, that hermit crab. He just take the shell off. But the essence is still there. And it becomes the law of Christ. He says, the law of gospel fulfills the commandment of the law. The Lord's Sermon on the Mount, far from abolishing or devaluating the moral prescription of the old law, releases their hidden potential and has new demands arise from them. It reveals their entire divine and human truth. It does not add new external precepts, but proceeds to reform the heart, the root of humans' acts, where man chooses between the pure and the impure, where faith, hope, and charity are formed, and within them, the other virtues. The gospel thus brings the law to its fullness through imitation of the perfection of the heavenly father. The forgiveness of enemies and prayer for persecutors in emulation of the divine generosity. The gospel explains the law. The gospel fulfills the law because it fulfills the purpose of the law to love God and to love people. How do you get this righteousness? How do you get it? You can't accomplish it. If you read, and, and we will preach from this text, and Jesus will say, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Now, we tend to think like, well, not perfect, maybe complete, maybe just like a growing up. No, you have to be perfect. How do you get this? It's only by faith. Only by faith. By faith, put in yourself in Jesus. Romans 4, 4 says, but the one who works, his wages is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You know why you're righteous? Because it was credited. And now the real practical righteousness is possible because it comes out of love. That's what counts. You know, often people hear saying, well, sometimes I just don't want to read the Bible. And I just like, I have to because, you know, and, and we have this law. Look, it doesn't do any good. Honestly, it doesn't do any good. Like if you don't want to. Now, you should pray and say, well, God, give me this desire that comes out of the new heart. Like the unbeliever, if you would read the Bible without just love, it doesn't help anything. If you do good things apart from loving God, it doesn't do anything good. Jesus said this at the end of the sermon. He said, well, you being evil could do good things, but guess what? It doesn't count. It, it is, it is for your righteousness and to become in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, it does not count. Now, the lie still stands. We should still not kill. We should still not murder. We should still not, not commit adultery. But for the kingdom of heaven, what counts is only one thing, your faith in Christ. There was no one who was more righteous as the righteous describes in Pharisees in Christ's day. And Christ said, I am, I am, my righteousness is far supersede their righteousness. And unless you're covered in Christ's righteousness, unless we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But by believing in his name, we're eternally covered in his righteousness and immediately become joint heirs of Christ, who is coming soon to establish his kingdom. I like this hymn that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, savor, or I die. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Father, thank you for Christ. He is awesome. He's the only one who did well. Now, because he did well, we could do it well as well. Now, because he did well and accomplished the law, now we could love the law. It does not condemn us anymore. It does not have any bearing on our salvation. But it become our guide, guide to the pleasing God. We praise you, Father. Oh, bless us. To not to dismiss everything that you said in scripture, but to love it, to embrace it, and to obey out of love of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.